you know being the GM means? It means you have to constantly be giving that that um, elevator pitch over and over to just about everybody you walk into. Like, because everybody's a potential fan, potential investor, potential sponsor, potential this, potential player, connection to a player. That's great. You give it once. We have so many listeners. You won't even need to give it again. That's it. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> Welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, talking life, playing games, playing mind games. We got a little something for you. This episode is brought to you by Handball Hero LLC. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Footy Fellas Pod, F O O T Y Fellas Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We got an awesome chat for you this week with Dan Starbuck Pelletier, general manager for semi professional side Bridgeport United FC, located in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We talked being a GM, what that's actually like growing a league, doing things a bit differently, being this young and new team in the league, trying to grow a fan base and becoming part of the community, financials. A lot of really interesting stuff that all of us don't get to see on a daily basis and we think would be interesting for all of you. So definitely stick around to listen to that chat. Max, did you just you just touch the mic while I'm doing the intro? I would never touch the mic while you're doing the intro. Can we that would be a sabotage. Winter, can we take that to VAR? Can we take that to VAR? Take a look. Did, did it look like Max yep. touched the mic while I was doing the intro? It was not intentional. There was I, you look at where my hand was. Do you see where my hand was? Oh, yep. On the slow motion, it's clear. It's clear, oh, I, Judge. I didn't even... Judge. I was looking the other way. This is... Eli, we're going to need you as the referee on the field to take a closer oh look at the monitor. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm staring, I'm staring at the monitor. Can this, you zoom it in 40 is... times? Yep. Yep, there we go. I know there you probably didn't mean to even get close to the mic with your hand, Jones, but your finger shot out almost involuntarily. It looked like your one, your pinky finger shot out and just touched the mic a little bit. It grazed it. This is so we're gonna have to decide. You touch the mic. This is ridiculous. You, you don't have to. You clearly saw. I didn't mean to do that. Okay. Okay. And scene. And scene. Oh, wow. Thank you, everybody. If you know where we're going, a couple of pretty controversial calls this weekend. Wouldn't you say, lads? Yeah, that was. There's. There. I mean, well, you know, to each their own. Uh, I think. I think in some cases. <laughs> some cases they were you know warranted uh that brighton handball was just egregious um <laughs> given united the, the goal at the end at, at another another week with a ton of pks guys a lot of handballs I, there's something the system the system's broke or or we've been playing the wrong way what do you guys think i think something's got to change i you know i understand according to the rule book they're making the correct call because it touched someone's hand in the box okay but that's got to change i think you have to factor in intent uh, of the defender if it just hits their arm and it's just a you know a normal position for their arm to be in I think that's a-okay and if you're at the top of the box and it's a header I, that, that that's not go the header is not going to go into the goal unlikely it's not a goal scoring opportunity I don't think it, it it should be a PK at that point players know especially with video assistant review anything that happens will get found and called so they might flick the ball differently they might you know, nudge players differently, you're kind of off balance. And as a defender, it's especially 
frustrating to watch guys like Dyer and Tottenham today go up for a header. You're kind of naturally getting bumped in the air, your arms coming up for balance. And without you even seeing behind your vision, the ball gets headed and hits the, the side of your arm. It grazes off your arm. Like you said, I see far away from the goal. Bam, PK, game's totally changed. Yeah. What are people saying on Twitter, Jones? Well, you know, I keep my, my, my pulse on, on, the, on the zeitgeist. <laughs> um, there's uh, there's our, our boy, uh, Alexi Lalas, um, who's uh, just claiming that players need to adapt and get used to it. Um, but, but clearly, I don't know. And, and I'm curious about NBA experts here. I feel like there's a lot of, of people practicing how to jump up properly when defending. So you don't hit or you, you don't enter the other person's space when they're shooting. Um, I, I, is that a fair claim? Is, is it just that players need to be more cautious about how they jump in the air with their arms? It feels to me like that's not an issue, but, um, uh, it is also egregious yeah. to just expect that of them. Yeah, just on the on the basketball perspective, uh, it's, I think it's a good point. But in basketball, points are a dime a dozen. Um, a PK in soccer is mm. huge, and it a goal in soccer is huge. It's so it's hard to score. I mean, face the facts, there aren't a lot of goals in soccer. I mean, now we are seeing a quite a bit right now. Um, it doesn't seem like teams are playing defense super well, uh, but um, yeah. No, a PK is a much bigger deal than a couple free throws in, in basketball. A great solution that I've seen thrown around, and I don't know really if it would be great just yet, um, as would maybe cause more, more chaos, but um, that if the refs don't see it, if they don't see that there was a questionable handball or questionable goalie off the line or anything else taking place in the box, if the, if the ref doesn't see it, then um, that shouldn't be reviewed in, in bar. So unless there's something egregious that, you know, clearly um, it was a foul or whatever it is, if the ref, if the ref doesn't call it out, then it shouldn't be called. I don't know how that really implicates offside. I I guess it would be completely different. We were just talking about penalties in the box. Um, But, uh, but I could also see that it's really putting a lot more on the ref to, uh, to, to, to catch it. But I guess it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe that's one solution. And people are also, arguing that we should go back to the pre 2019 rules where, um, you know, you need to evaluate if the ball two hand or hand two ball, I mean, standard stuff we've kind of grown up with, um, Mm. uh, could the player have moved their arm in time and was the distance between the ball being shot and hitting the arm, um, just impossible for a person to, you know, move or is it, you know, too close in any capacity where clearly the ball was going to hit the arm no matter what. Um, Love to get the take of a referee, given all our connections yeah. to many of the Premier League referees. I'm sure we can bring someone on no problem at all. Mm-hmm. Because you could see it both ways. You could see them being <laughs> thankful that they and appreciative that they have this extra backing. You know, they're not going to miss anything. If they do, it's not really their fault because they're supposed to be this extra level of safety blanket, watching out, watching the game, this god overseer. You can review everything. Your mistakes will get caught. That could also lead to some stress, I'm sure. But on the other hand, you don't have as much power and you feel like you're consistently under review because you are, the game is, but your calls are what's being overturned or changed. Or So as, as referees, you have so much less power. It's like umpires in baseball. If you went to a robotic strike zone and they're just sitting there with a screen in front of them, mm-hmm. the screen lights up and they say strike, ball, you yeah. know, and it's the calls are much more accurate, much more consistent but I wonder how the, the person actually calling the game feels because of it. Yeah. 
I think I think the intent of VAR right was to just eliminate things that were like egregiously needed to be called. Um, you know, there there was a there was a you know a blatant handball that just the refs were at a different angle they couldn't catch it. But if you had it on camera, you clearly saw that the the defender put their arm out, stop the ball on the line, kind of stuff. Um, but it feels like that again the initial intent calling out things that are just glaring so that you can't can't have any you know what ifs later on is now completely flipped to the other side of the spectrum where it's literally any small thing is called. Um, and it's definitely ruining the flow and, and perhaps, um, outcomes. It does seem like the EPL takes a, takes their time when they're doing VAR and, and reviews much more than the MLS does. And I've heard people say, you know, Oh, the MLS does it right because it's really quick and they just do it and, and it's over. It doesn't take too much time. It's not a big disruptor to the game. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I'm thinking about this, uh, MN UFC game that just happened the other day. We scored our last minute goal in, in stoppage time and it looked like a clear goal. And I was disappointed that the VAR ref did not make the on-field referee review it at his monitor. It, that irked me a lot. You know, I think especially a goal like that, at the end of the game, it would have tied the game, um, really just needs to be decided by the main ref. It, it was, it was close, that kind of stuff. Um, I know it's kind of a gray area, but I just think the on-field referee needs to, needs to see it and have some input personally. It's frustrating. And I don't want to belabor this too much. It's frustrating when there's a handball. Okay. The ball hits the hand, get it. But the argument in this scenario, it feels like just this weekend that clearly the ball has been hitting arms. Yes. But like, majority of them have felt like incidents that really should not have been counted as a handball. And it's really just the, the terminology right. for what we determined to be a handball, not so much perhaps VAR's use or the ref's interpretation, but just however the rules are written at the moment do not allow for unintentional, clearly unintentional handballs to be um, waved away. So I don't, I don't know if that's like another just a nuance in the, in the wording that needs to be changed or standards, but it feels like there's an, an in-between. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not hating on VAR. I'm not hating on how center refs are implementing it. It just feels like it's way too strict on, on how, what what's constitutes a handball. When it's your team, you're going to be frustrated if it doesn't go your way, just like with every other call. Last when it's week, not your team, week, you're fine with it. Lindelof had a handball that was very much not a handball called against uh, Crystal Palace. We could, we, could, we could pull it up on the screen right now. But overall, it wasn't a dig at you, Jones. I'm saying fans in general. I think overall, I just think Man United gets so much shit. <laughs> seem to be getting more frustrated <laughs> on the whole, regardless of what team you support. People are getting frustrated with VAR. So I'm sure we'll have, be having this conversation again down the road this season. Before we get into last week today, fill you in on what's going around the world in soccer. Icy, do you want to quickly tell us about your dream that you were hyping up before we got on the pod? Like, in, I'll give you like 30 seconds, a minute. Wait, is that even possible? Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, very quick. Um, yeah, it was low-key kind of scary. So it was on the verge of me waking, like my alarm going off at 5.55 to wake up for the 6 a.m. game. And when you're kind of half awake, half asleep, your mind just goes to bizarre world. <laughs> and my grandmother dropped me off at the movie theater i was meeting a couple of my buddies to go to a movie and she had given me this face mask covid world and uh we're in the movie and in the movie i'm like oh my god i really do not want to catch covid and we're in a movie theater i'm freaking out 
And so I try to like hold my, like I'm holding my breath in my dream in the theater. And then I kind of come to in real life and I'm really having trouble breathing in real life. And uh, it was freaky. Like I was holding my breath in real life. And then like, it was just bizarre. I was like having trouble breathing all because I didn't want to catch COVID in my dream. Um, Long story short, I will not be going to a movie theater anytime soon. Jeez. Sounds freaky. It was wild. Sounds like you're worried about COVID. The, the, the sub 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 subliminal context. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll let that sit with everyone while we talk through some <laughs> last week today and what's going on in the soccer world. Cue the music, Tony. Um, Carabao Cup took place this week. Uh, third round, that is. And of the 16 teams that are left, three are non-Premier League teams. You've got Newport County, Brentford, Brentford, uh, it's the, of course, Swedish team and Stoke City, um, all of which are playing against reasonable competition. So if you're a big Carabao, uh, I guess, brand supporter or the cup, um, look out for those games. So they're playing Newcastle, Fulham and Ashton Villa, respectively. So hopefully good competition. The uh, Europa Super Cup took place between uh, the defending Champions League and Europa League winners, uh, Bayern and Sevilla, which was a, uh, a, a Great battle, went into extra time. They were tied 1-1, and then uh, the vet, Javi Martinez, put it uh, put them over the line and gave Bayern uh, some more silverware in their cabinet. Um, Women's Super League, um, early on, uh, no big headlines for the U.S. women's national team players who just came over. Um, the only signing who really played this week was Sam Mewis, uh, who got tick in the city's, uh, city's 0-0 tie with Brighton. Otherwise, um, Arsenal's 9-1 win over West Ham was quite apparent as they sit atop the league comfortably um big league you guys were asking a lot about scottish prem rangers are top of the league celtics behind by one point uh so i'll keep you guys posted there bundesliga um relatively big time upsets with uh dortmund and Bayern both losing to um solid teams i guess hoffenheim's not not that bad hoffenheim smacked Bayern 4-1 and augsburg beat dortmund 2-0 um, transfers the past week. Uh, Barcelona's just shutting people. Semedo is off to Wolves, which I think is going to be awesome. Suarez to Atletico, and he scored two goals and assist today. And Vidal back to Inter Milan, uh, where he is uniting with uh, with Conte. So I guess back to Conte. And uh, they had a thrilling 4-3 win over Fiorentina, where, if you watch the highlights, Ribéry, remember that guy, um, showed that he still got his stuff. And then, obviously, this weekend... Uh, we saw United um, doing United things, pulling out a last second. Well, not even second, just they won at oh, past the game posthumously. Um, Chelsea had a great comeback, and Tottenham got ripped off. Um, that's about it. Thanks, Tony. You can stop the music now. Yeah, please stop the music. Tony, the music guy. I can't believe Suarez already. Everyone's already. Everyone's thinking about Messi's post. All this stuff. He's moved on. He's on Madrid. He gets subbed in in the 70th minute and has time for it to slip in and assist in two goals. Classic Suarez. He's a good player. Yeah. He's solid. Also still stuck on Carabao Cup since you mentioned the sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what it was, so I had to look it up while you were you were filling us in on the rest of the, the rest of the world. It's an energy drink? Is that right? It's an yeah. energy drink company? Yeah. And it's not sponsored by Herds of Water Buffaloes, the only other Carabao my web browser wanted to find. Got it. No. No. Okay. Surprisingly. That's interesting. Has anyone actually seen anyone drink this energy drink ever? 
uh, definitely not in the States. I've seen, I've seen, um, I guess, uh, no, actually, I really haven't seen, I was going to say, I've seen branding for it, but that's because of the cup, but I haven't. Uh, yeah. 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 No, I've never even heard of sure. this drink or seen anyone. It's a Thai it. energy drink launched in 2002. And that, I wonder if that was part of their plan at the, at the beginning, they drew up their brand strategy and mm-hmm. it was like, we need to sponsor a soccer competition. That's yep. going to do it for us. Yep. And they made it happen. So you can't, can't fault them for it. Yep. I still think our, our kombucha uh, enterprise could, could get international very quickly. So have we started it? No. Have we discussed it? No, this is the first time I'm bringing it up, but, but you still it. think, think about it. Could it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Well, we'll save that sponsor for another day today. We want to thank our one main sponsor who they all make it possible every week. Make, make this possible. This, this beautiful, language coming streaming through to your ears depending on how you're listening apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher check us out on all those platforms rate us subscribe like all that stuff anyways gonna thank our main sponsor and then we'll get to our chat with dan general manager for bridgeport united thanks to a new handball rule in the premier league teams can be awarded penalty kicks if the ball simply touches a player's hand or arm there is no regard for intent or if the situation was a goal-scoring opportunity. This has fans, coaches, and players a bit upset. The only solution managers are turning to is Handball Hero, LLC. They specialize in green screen VAR trickery. As long as players wear a lightweight, stylish green arm sleeve with gloves, all VAR replays will hide the player's arms and hands. Now, instead of the ball deflecting off a body part, it simply looks like the ball is striking an invisible object. Since it is not clear what the ball is hitting, the referees cannot make a clear handball call, according to Rule Statute 80085. Everyone is happier with less last-minute PKs deciding the outcome of matches. Get yours today for a better way to play. Wow, that was timely. Perfect timing. It must be buying programmatically. Decided every every day that a bad handball call is made, they pump tons of money into their advertising ecosystem, like yeah. uh, partners like us. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. I'm also surprised. I, I, I'm not sure why they would, um, maybe it's public pressure. I feel like I've never seen technology advertised. Um, like I, I didn't see, there was no VAR um, advertised stuff. I mean, maybe I went on their target demo, but a couple of years ago, I don't remember seeing VAR, VAR ads. You got to beat, beat the system. I see. Is it extremely futuristic technology? That sounds tough to manage. You know, they just have a couple inside folks at the VAR uh, engineering team. And so they have uh, the inside scoop of what fabric, material, color works to be invisible on the VAR replays. So this is kind of like a McMillian situation. They got they have an inside, people on the inside, which is the reason they're so successful. Exactly. So once we start seeing this in action, which we're hoping to in game week four, uh, they plan to take this company live, live, <laughs> take it public. So um, I know I bought all of us. I used our our pool of uh, Footy Fella money, and I did buy us a, a lot of shares in this okay. company. I hope you guys don't mind. So when they go public, hopefully we'll reap the reap the benefit. Feels a little counterintuitive since we leaked the news that they have an inside person yeah. on this. That sounds it sounded illegal when I said it. I'm not sure if it actually is. Yeah. 
I'm worried, I'm worried about teams. I'm worried Whoa. about teams with green jerseys. I feel like there's a huge loophole that we haven't we haven't even discussed yeah. here, guys. Um, I see better that though, right? What's the solution for teams with green jerseys? Well, it's not the right color green. It's not the right fabric. So we're, there's there's no issue there. Um, one potential downside that the company is thinking about is will these sleeves and gloves uh, encourage defenders to openly smack the ball. Um, <laughs> away because VAR it won't show on VAR so according to rule 88085 uh, the referees can't call it they'll just take two steps and then baseball freaking swing it as they're far just, as they can they just have, no, no proof the goalie has like four clubs in the, in, in the box and he hands them out to his defenders on corner kicks and shit with that here's our chat with Dan enjoy Very excited to chat with Dan Starbuck Pelletier today, general manager of Bridgeport United FC, one of 10 teams in the Connecticut Soccer League. Growing up, Dan competed at a very high level in both soccer and chess, captaining his collegiate soccer team at the University of Montevallo in Alabama and competing in state and national chess competitions. He's since founded the organization Team Dig USA, which focuses on lessons in a variety of sports, including soccer as well as chess. As a fully licensed coach and entrepreneur in many ways, we're really interested in learning more about his role as GM for the relatively new side, BUFC, located in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Dan, welcome to the pod. Thank you. That was a great introduction. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, I know there's been so much going on. Just trying to keep up with everything you're doing and everything that the, the squad's doing was a good amount of research the last couple of days. That's how going on. I was going to say that you, you really you know, summarized it well. Uh, it's rare that somebody takes the time to look into somebody's history and then summarize it so well. So thank you for that. That was nice. How would you characterize Bridgeport United FC and the CSL as a league? Because that was one of the things, even as I dug into it more and more, I wanted to make sure I was getting right and and still feel like I don't have a, a complete handle on. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So the CSL used to be a really big league in Connecticut about 20 years ago, even about 10, um, there used to be uh, a first division with 18 teams, a second division with 18 teams, and even a third division. And a lot of ethnic teams, so the Greenwich Croatians, I think they were, the uh, Olympia Stanford, which was all Polish guys, then Bridgeport Italians, Hartford Portuguese, Danbury Brazilians. So a lot of ethnic teams and that was because a lot of people were moving to Connecticut from other countries. And so you had a lot of really good players, a lot of local fans from those ethnicities and the teams in a lot of cases paid their players well uh, per game. And so you, you had a nice little local league. Uh, If you didn't perform well, you get relegated. And if you do well, you can get promoted. Well, since then, like the next generation. So I played for Olympia Stanford and I was at like the end of um, that excitement. And I saw it kind of downfall and Olympia Stanford folded. And then when I moved to Hartford with my corporate job, uh, the coach of Olympia Stanford connected me with uh, Polonia Falcon up in New Britain, which is another team that was just surviving. And, um, but obviously going through financial situations just because like, you know, not as many people coming out and I started playing and I, I just realized that maybe I could be one of the people that, that gets the CSL back and, you know, in excitement and it, it can't be through ethnicities because a lot of these 
cultures have just become integrated into American culture. Now they watch the Patriots instead of local soccer. Uh, and so um, the new strategy, if you see the new teams in the CSL, it's a lot of teams that like Hartford Sporting or Bridgeport United, like mine, or that there's still some old school ones like Waterbury Pontes and Polonia Falcon, but Newtown Pride is relatively new and they're different. They're, they don't have like a set cultural fan base. It's, it's an area now. So Bridgeport United is more focused on the area of Bridgeport and the youth in Bridgeport, you know, following us. So what I'm trying to say is it was really popular and then it went down because people stopped being as interested in it because it wasn't those cultural pockets. And now it's coming back up with a different, different look. Um, and so there's a lot of excitement now. The, the teams, it dropped down to six teams total in the league only a few years ago, I think, like maybe four years ago. And now it's back up to 10 uh, with the addition of Bridgeport United started last year. Uh, CT Roma joined this year. Uh, Silk City joined. So there's now, now it's back, it, but it's still a work in progress. There's a few teams that are really, you know, organized and have a you know a bit of a following but then there's a drop off of fans of teams that are just in my opinion trying to get things together and figure out how to run their organization without a, a natural following of a cultural background so um part of what i'm doing with bridgeport united is trying to uplift the league overall too because with bridgeport united i didn't want to just join a, a massive pro league and drop seven million dollars to join the usl pro championship I was hoping I could start in the CSL and get good games, market them, and um, and then from there build a fan base that uh, that I can then bring to the pro level uh, with investors and stuff like that. So, you know, we're looking to stay in the CSL for forever, really, actually, with the local team. But in the future, we we're looking to go and join a, a pro league. And uh, but right now we're building our fan base with the CSL. It seems like the league as a whole is definitely growing. And obviously Bridgeport United is is one of those teams front and center because we're here talking to you. We found you and found Bridgeport United. And, the, you know, the website is very informative and looks really official. What do you think is the toughest part or has been the toughest part so far about being a part of this? this re-energizing of the league and players and fan bases or building Bridgeport United itself up from the ground? Yeah, so some of these teams, they're not as into it like we are. So first of all, just getting them to show up with the right amount of players and the right competition is a challenge. I don't blame them because they're just doing this, you know, for, to have a fun league for the, for whatever reason, they're not trying to build a professional club. So um, I'm kind of trying to use a situation that's not meant for it. So that's been a huge challenge. Uh, and then the other thing is just, you know, getting through all the loopholes of politics and um, getting the fields in the beginning and, and building the team, you know, there was a lot of no's along the way. And if I hadn't, basically I've been doing free soccer lessons in Bridgeport for almost 10 years now, uh, just on my Saturday afternoons, just because I just, I loved it. And I, I just, you know, I've done well with my career. So I just always wanted to give back. So that was one of the ways that I did that. I built a massive following of, 
you know, over a hundred kids at each clinic. Um, and sometimes it'd just be me with a hundred kids, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy. So then I wow. was, able, I was able to partner with a couple of good foundations. One of which was kick for Nick, what is kick for Nick out of Wilton. Um, and they were, they're they funding us having five, four, actually now five coaches that we pay really well, uh, that come. So now I have, you know, the support that I need with that, but basically I built political contacts, uh, through that unintentionally. And, um, then I realized that because I had those political contacts, I would, I would be able to, um, get through the nose that you face at every level trying to do something like this, because I know the top. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. You know, when I, when I hit those nose, I knew the right people and things just kept moving along until now, you know, we're fully sponsored by the city. You know, we don't have to pay to use the stadium. We don't have to pay to use the lights. We don't have to pay to use, um, you know, the maintenance, you know, the, the city is really behind us. Um, when things, when coronavirus goes away, we're going to do a big event where they're going to present, um, on the news, uh, an award to us for having a great season last year and probably again this year. Uh, so they're going to help us. They get us on news 12, um, which is the biggest station around here. So, um, you know, we have that support, which is the base foundation to building. I think every pro team needs to have the right political contacts because you, that, that's how you get anything going with something like this. So now that we got that, then it was, I could go to sponsors and, and, um, and say, look, we, we, we're not going anywhere. We've got the support of the city. We're going to get fans. We're going to, we're not going to go under because of massive expenses. I mean, to rent a stadium where we play Kennedy stadium is the second largest stadium in Connecticut, 12,000 seats. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it costs a lot to rent that for a night. You know, we would go bankrupt pretty quick if we had to, you know, drop all that money. So sponsors feel more comfortable uh, joining us because they, they know that we're sustainable because of that. So I think that, you know, that's, I think that number one, we joined a league that, that isn't really focused on this high of a level. And number two, we have the politics in order to, um, to do this. In your, in your role sitting as, as GM, uh, it feels like there are so many things clearly that you are managing on and off the field, it almost feels primarily off in some ways. Um, I think a lot of our listeners have an idea in some respects what a, what a GM is, but um, I think it would be really valuable to hear from a legitimate one such as yourself. Um, and if you could in some way um, simplify it and provide what you think an analogy might be for what running a semi-professional soccer team is like. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, it's, it's extremely hands-on if you want to survive. So, and, and it's not like I just go to the games and get to sit back and have, you know, a drink and watch the games and relax. Like I'm constantly covering for something and, uh, chasing down players, um, making sure that they're on time, you know, answer questions to my coaching staff. Uh, but the key is that you build good, uh, support system. Uh, and I'm lucky that I've got a lot of connections that I've built over the years with good friends that are, that are smart and successful. And so they've gotten involved and um, you know, we have a massive staff. I think that's why we've gotten such good players to come to us so quickly because they see that we have a head coach, we have an assistant coach, we have a technical director that runs our practices. Um, we have a team manager that, that does all the paperwork, gets everything ready, gets the water ready, gets, you know, gets the corner flags ready. We have a head recruiter 
that's really professional. It's always in communication with players and stuff like that. So we have all we have a, a head of social media and broadcast. Um, so we have a web de- website designer. We have all these people um, that that really make it make it work. If 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 I if I didn't have them, then I would be underwater. But I will say, even with them, uh, I start working on this, preparing for a game. So we have a game this Saturday against Hartford Sporting Hartford at home um, at our stadium. And I, I haven't stopped doing, I mean, I, in all my free time, I'm working on it. You know, I'm deciding what we post on our social media. We're updating our website with the statistics, um, with the, the, the standings. Um, I'm checking with the, poly, the the field administrator to make sure the stadium is ready. I'm fixing the nets at the stadium because there was holes in it. Uh, I'm ch- wondering why a player isn't responding to me when he was all in like before, you know, um, speaking with all of our sponsors, trying to figure out, you know, this and that I'm deciding on who to pay what, you know? So, um, it's, it's, you have to be willing to do, uh, everything and not feel like you're above and people imagine the GM role as some like really fun, you know, exotic position. Well, it's just, it's actually just a whole lot of grind. Um, but I will say that when you win the game, like this past Saturday, we played Bridgeport Brazilians. It was like, you know, our, our inner city um, rival. And when we, we tied 0 0 at half, and then um, we win 3 1, like going home is just like the most incredible feeling. You put a full week of effort into this. And then, and then when you get the win and you see fans, I and mean, we had about 150, 200 fans there. We had about, I don't know, two or 300 people watching online. So it wasn't our biggest game, obviously, but. You know, still there's a, there's a decent amount of people that are tuning in, whether in person or online, and and to know that somebody else is watching and supporting and feeling like they're um, a part of that brand is just an incredible feeling. It makes it all worth it. So you're really you're really hands on, like you said. You got to be you got to lean into the grind a little bit, but it sounds like it energizes you. Like that gets you going. I text every player by by Wednesday of every week that 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 is even in the mix to get picked. So we have we have like 30 to 40 players in our pool of players and then you can only have 25 on the roster. Um and like register somebody costs money, like everything costs money, so you have to be careful with how much you spend and how much you you know do you can't just be changing things all the time. And and then we can only take 18 on game day. And uh you know, so I'm 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 texting like 30 to 40 people uh, constantly. And I try to, and one thing that I, I realize is different from the rest is like, I don't just text them and say like, you know, are you in for the game? Like I text them, how are you? What's going on? How's your fam? You know, I, I like, I try to treat them like family. We try to get them jobs. Um, you know, we, we have gotten multiple you know jobs for them. We've helped them in tons of situations, personal work. Um, you know, so just on like a player management situation i'm in very close contact with every player the coaches we have a coaches chat we're talking all week about the formation we want to play um and and what lineup we want to run with uh we scout the other teams uh we go to all the other games where we watch them online uh but you know as you can tell i love it um it's a grind that's enjoyable but i think that if anybody were to want to become a gm uh, they just need to understand that it's it's extremely time consuming and you got to really love what you're doing or else it just won't work. I feel like the, the thing Max and I have been watching somewhat recently 
that reminds me of an analogy for for what you're talking about is some sort of kitchen, you know, in the back, and it's like so much going on, and you're you're head chef kind of moving pieces around, but everyone is like on their station, hard at work, you know, working together, having to get stuff out the door to be ready for game day. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe your your cooking skills are either very good or I'm way off here, but that's just what what I'm hearing. We have the right we have the right people. I mean, our staff, like our head coach Juan Constante, he is so good with players. He never loses his cool. Nico Petridis, that you know was the 93rd pick in the 2020 draft, and the Red Bulls he played at St. John's this past year and went to the Sweet 16. Um, And then Rigo Severio, who's got 10 goals in five games, an incredible Honduras player. They played for. Honduras national teams when he was younger and like U16 and all that. And, um, and then we have Eric Laurent, another fast player that runs a 10.89, a hundred meter dash, which is up there with like college football athletes. And this year we're four, four wins and two ties. We tied Newtown, which we went from losing four zero to tying them one, one and Juan's uh, tactics in that game were, were amazing. We played counterattack and we got a, we drew a penalty off a counterattack and we had, we had, we should score two more goals. We missed a, a breakaway and um, and one got called off on a uh, offsides that when we looked at it, it wasn't offsides later. Um, and, and Newtown got some good opportunities, but they spent most of the game just passing the ball around and getting really frustrated and then playing long balls that they're not used to playing. You know, lo- Newtown loves to play the ball on the ground and, and draw you out. And we refused to be drawn out. We met them at half field. And then we go play the next game and we press, you know, so Juan has the ability to, you know, it's not easy. I, you know, I'm play. I, you know, I'm only 32. I was playing in the CSL just, I think, two years ago. I was third leading goal scorer in the CSL as center midfielder. So, like, I'm, I'm still a player. No biggie. All the time. Yeah, no, no, no biggie. Just had to slip that in there. We, we respect I, it. I'm just saying that, like, I'm, I, <laughs> I know what it's like to be a player, and totally, totally. And like, when a coach changes things all the time, it used to really upset me. It's like, dude, we're, we got a rhythm here. Like, let's not change things. And um, so he has the ability to make changes week in, week out and keep the trust of the players, which, you know, I, as the GM, I watch for those things, you know, and, and I've been very impressed with it. Speaking of the players, um, you had mentioned a little earlier that um, you, you think that part of the draw that pulls them into the team um, is, is the fully supported staff that you have on hand mm-hmm. um, and the support then that those players get. Um, but in hearing how you you know you reference Newtown, who clearly has been as dominant as they have been for the past few years, mm-hmm. um, half decade, if you will, um, what do you think it is that separates um, uh, BUFC and Newport, and what can you do to help close the gap? Oh, so you know Newtown. Um, ah, see, they're going to listen to this, so I have to be careful. <laughs> Can't give away yeah. secrets here. Basically everything, I'm not trying to be kind, but like everything I do, I, I know that a lot of the other owners l- look at because they're interested because I'm doing things differently than most CSL teams. So they're all going to listen to this. So I have to be careful with what I say because I got a lot of respect for them. And, and I'm not saying that to say that I don't have respect for them, but you know, I have my theories on how they get these amazing players. Um, but I mean, they just have some, they have this guy named Lucas, um, this Brazilian. They have this guy named Tavoy, Lamboy. These guys are, unbelievable players and um how they get them you know I, I don't know how he got them in the first place but you know now he's built like a family atmosphere there you know you see pictures of them always together and doing things um but you know they don't have the staff we have you know it's just him the, the owner of newtown and his dad running it 
And uh, so I feel like, you know, we do things, you know, our website is, is definitely more professional. Our social media is way more active, but I mean, now they're bringing in a guy that does, you know, some good videos, but um, you know, I, I don't know what it is that, you know, I have my theories, but I don't really want to come out publicly saying them, but they, they have incredible players that are happy there. And so whatever they're doing, uh, it's impressive because it's hard to keep really good players happy. You know, you, they score you a lot of goals and then they, they want more, they want this, you know, so I, I don't know how they've done it, but they've had the same group of players for like five years and they're just very hard to beat. You know, if you go back and watch the tape of us playing, you know, they had possession, they, they, you know, we had to play a defensive, you know, we're far away from playing them straight up. I'll admit that. Um, so I don't know. You'll have to do your, do your research on, on what, how they get these players and keep them, but uh, they definitely do. I'm friends with a lot of them. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. If you, if you, if you mentioned that they've been around for a little while, I'm feeling good that the, the tides must turn at some point and, and they can't be around forever. Um, so as long as you're picking up the younger talent, you know, maybe, maybe that Bridgeport's just waiting, just waiting to pounce. Yeah. I think we're about three to four players away from, from it, either our own players in, you know, getting better, um, which is happening. Like a lot of players we have on our team, you know, I think that we've motivated them in their own right. Like they, they were really good players. And then, you know, at like 21, 20, and then they just thought maybe their career was over. And now all of a sudden they're 23 and they're like, oh, I got this awesome team and let me just start training again. So either three or four more players from our team like elevate their game. We have about, I say we have about three to four players that are at new t- that could that are at that level, um, and the rest are really solid players committed, but they they just lack the um, they they lack that that quality, which I believe that some of them have it, but they just need to put in that daily effort to get there. And I'm hoping that with us being organized and having fans and practicing and getting them good gear and, you know, trying to help them. I'm hoping that it motivates them to, you know, raise their level. So I think, I, I definitely think we'll get there within about a year. I think with a, I think we'll play them again in the spring. Hope you guys watch. And I think we'll probably get out, you know, they'll have better possession if I had to guess and they'll look sharper, but maybe we'll find a way to tie or win. But then the following year, I'm hoping to uh, be at that level where we can just play them straight up and see what happens, you know? We're big BUFC fans at this point since we we connected a couple weeks ago. I've been watching some of the streams and obviously all the the social media stuff you mentioned, which is on point and out there. Talk talk to us. I'm curious. You mentioned you're coming in with this new viewpoint. You're doing things differently than the rest of the clubs in this league. Where do you think that comes from? Is it your experiences as an entrepreneur? Is it from something else you've you've thought about before really buying into and leading this team? Where do you think that comes from that you want to you're doing things so differently than the rest of the league. Yeah. I, I think that w- when I played college soccer, we had an amazing team and we never had anybody videotaping our games and our social media. We didn't have any social media. And I remember always thinking like we, we were, we went to the final four my freshman year, my senior year, number one seed in the NCAA tournament division two, but still really good. And I just remember thinking, wouldn't it be great if like my family and friends could like see how, like in other parts of the country and world, like could see how good we are and, if we had more fans, like it, I could definitely happen. And I feel like, I, so I was always on my mind as a player and I would never felt like I had any organization that I was a part of 
that, that really focused on that. And so I'm really pumped as, uh, as an owner now to provide that for players. And so, for example, I understand that, um, that the most important thing to building this brand, I mean, if there's one thing that your listeners take from me today and you guys take from me today, the most important thing to building a brand is young people being involved, like kids. I really believe that. And so that's why we host a free soccer clinic before for an hour before every home game. And I go coach it myself. And and then we get some more players there. And these kids are coming, and, you know, and we got more and more kids. We brought all these awesome jerseys. I brought an authentic Pulisic jersey from Dortmund. I brought a messy jersey. You know, we gave them away to the kids. We we adopted the fourth grade class at Roosevelt School in Bridgeport. And every Wednesday we go during the day and teach them soccer in the gym, the fourth grade class. And I got the, I measured all their feet and got them all soccer cleats. I got 54 kids soccer cleats that fit them. Not just like old, like, you know, when I went to soccer and rugby and got them on board um, and I got them all out the ball. You know, I mean, the list, I mean, we got this kid that, that, that has been coming to our free clinics for about four years from, from Haiti. And, uh, and he had some tough situations. And last summer I got him a, coaching job over the summer to, to coach at a camp. And I found out he was homeless living at a friend's place because he just didn't want to go back to the projects where he was going to have to go. And uh, he was going to drop out of high school. And, you know, me and some of our people uh, were able to find him a home in Shelton. And, um, you know, he's, now he's got a car. He's going to play college soccer at Mitchell College. He's working two jobs, dishwashing, like working his butt off. You know, an exact example of uh, what the American dream can be and what some of these people that come from other countries, they just want to work, you know, they're not trying to cause trouble, they just want to work and make a life for themselves. So we've gotten heavily involved in the community. And that's why we immediately have hardcore fans because they feel it. They, they, they want to be a part of this. this isn't just some protein that just came in and we got these badass players. No one cares about that, man. Like it's, 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 it's about the connection to the community. And so um, that, that, that is the most important thing. And so that, that's what I'm doing. And I think that's why we're having so much success. And then all, everything else is just cherry on top, you know, filming the games, you know, that's just me being smart. And I don't know why other people don't do that. I mean, I, I got, in, got in contact with my Cujo. You can film through my, my phone and it comes out clear and it has all these awesome um, things where I can like press goal um, high. And then w- when people are watching on their computer, they can actually go back and see the highlights. It's a free service. It's free. Why not do it? As uh, as we're trying to grow our own brand here with with Footy Fellas, we too are uh, taking notes on on the subject. So appreciate appreciate the insight about brand growth. Um, and that's that's awesome. I mean, being from you know Max is from Chicago. I'm from Stanford, where you you played for the club. But that's awesome what you're doing for the Bridgeport community and what the team is bringing to the community. Also, we uh, we've got uh, one last question we like to usually. Um, wrap up our our personal deep dive, if, if we'll call it that. And that's uh, what is one misconception about running a semi-professional soccer team here in the U.S.? Oh, that people think that you have endless money. Um, so players constantly contact us about like, you know, getting them over, coming over here to America to play or um, even just players in the local area. And then the expectation, I'm constantly having to manage expectations of like what our budget is. Um, 
people think that there's this con- there's this this perception that like if somebody's starting a pro team or semi pro team that they must be like some really rich guy that's just doing it for fun. And I agree that that happens a lot of the time. I mean, you see what happens with Chelsea with the the Russian owner or Manchester City with the oil guys. But I think our strategy is not to just come in. I, I don't even want anybody that's super rich right now. I, I like, I want to make this thing organic. Like this is a long-term thing. You know, we're just going to play in the CSL, which is not too expensive to play in. Um, we're going to build this thing with the community. Then what's going to happen is that community is going to feel like they're a part of it in three to five years when we do make that step. You know, cause I feel like if you just come in and drop something huge in, nobody was a part of that growth. You know, like, but now like you guys, this podcast, let's say we get some more followers because but you guys are a part of our organic growth and our, the kids that come to our things and wear our jersey, share our stuff on their social media. You know, they know that we're, you know, small right now. So as we grow organically, I'm hoping that when we do make it big, because we will make it big, we will be a big team there. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, I can't say that we, we, have, we have dreams with, with high up people in the city to do big things. And when we get there, I feel like all the people that have been there from, from this time forward over the past year or two will feel like they were part of it. And I think that we'll have that loyal fan base that'll be singing and chanting and, you know, doing the, the things that make it feel like more of experience rather than just going and sitting at a game in silence and, you know, and then leaving. That's awesome. Yeah. I love the enthusiasm. And that makes, that's a hundred percent true. Everyone that's been a part of something that has grown you feel more tied to because you were part of that growth. You were in it earlier on. I'm sure, you know, every team we've been a part of or every company or project or group you've been a part of, if you're there from the beginning and you can get more and more people involved in the beginning, it grows it organically, but all those people are that much more loyal. They're that much more tied to the, to the brand and what it represents and what you're, what you're trying to do. Agreed. That's my strategy. So, cause it's not like this isn't my living, you know, I have uh, other businesses that I make me money. You know, this is, this is something that I don't have to rush. And I think that the, the proper way to do it or with long-term success is you can't rush it. I, I actually think that there's no way to rush it unless if you can just bring in like Messi and Ronaldo and then, okay. Yeah. But like, if you, if you can't bring in massive names, then there's no way to do it successfully without uh, starting small and growing organically with the computer, the, the community. That's how I view it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something though. Who knows? Messi to Bridgeport United would have been a big, uh, would it would have sent the soccer world uh, on its head. That would have been massive, huh? Wow. <laughs> that would have been pretty big. Sorry about, sorry that one got away. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's been awesome to hear about, you know, your role as the GM and with the team and this last quick segment we want to do, taking us back to the intro, you played chess. It seems like you were a pretty serious chess player and we want to tap into those roots for a second and ask you to, to think outside the box, or I guess outside the board a little bit. And we're going to throw some chess pieces at you. We, we've mingled. We've each played. We're not experts. Mm-hmm. But the, the beauty of this piece is it doesn't take being an expert, but you're bringing that level to it. We're going to throw pieces at you and ask you where they would fit on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So you, could, you could refer to Bridgeport United specifically, mm-hmm. the, your style of play, which it sounds like is always changing. Mm-hmm. Just generally, if you want to compare them to you know certain players that you enjoy watching or ways that you played mm-hmm. i'm gonna throw a couple pieces at you yeah go ahead all right so there's, there's not there's not too too large of a arsenal here to choose from but mm. we'll, we'll start small we'll start we'll start with the the piece that gets sacrificed the most here with the pawn where do you think the pawn fits on the pitch 
I was hoping you wouldn't say the pawn. The pawn's tough because it's so simple, but it's also um, it's very hard to uh, teach because it does so many different things. It's kind of that role player. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, I would just say it's, it's a role player. I would say that, um, we have a few really good role players. Do you want me to actually name players on Bridgeport United? Or do you just want me to talk about like a p- person in that position? If you want, we'll, we'll keep it quick so we can move through each of the pieces, but, yeah. but go wherever you need to. I want to, I want to hear how the, the chess pieces make their way. Yeah, onto I'm thinking about a guy named Jamal Howard on our team that sometimes starts, sometimes comes off the bench, sometimes plays winger, sometimes plays right back, left back, you know, the pawn, uh, is is it needs to be with other pawns to be successful it can't it, it has there's i've never seen a pawn do anything on its own but when a pawn works in a pawn chain they call it uh in a diagonal formation and moves up and creates what i call a pawn storm and it can suffocate the opponent and then it can move to get close to becoming you know pawn promotion and then becoming a queen so i think players like jamal that um you know, aren't lights out talents, but like are willing to do whatever it takes for the team and are willing to fit in with the team wherever we need them, you know, are essential for our success. I mean, I don't know what we would do without the guy, you know? So, um, you know, pawns are like role players. I feel like they have, they need other play- pieces to be successful, uh, but they're willing to do that. It's, it's not always easy to get a player to will, you know, that's willing to take on that role. That was really eloquent. I'm excited for the, for the rest of these. All right, we'll move we'll move out to in. So we'll we'll go next to the to the rook out on the wing there. Yeah, the rook. I would say that's like uh, Nico Petridis or Eric Laurent. Like it just um, it's explosive. It's very direct. Uh, goes straight forward, um, but has trouble cutting and and being you know creative in tight spaces. So um, you know Eric Laurent and Nico uh, are extremely fast and create a lot of chances, but need improvement in finishing those chances. Uh, so I think that the rooks are quite clumsy in games. I teach my players to hold off on bringing the rooks out to later in the game, because if they come out in the middle of the game, when there's all those pieces, they get caught up in trouble. Um, so they're really meant for end game when there's more space. So as you can imagine a soccer game, players like Eric Laurent and Nico need to find space to work in where they can run and, and, and run at people and run behind people. They got to have some pace getting up and down the wings there. You know, if the, if, the, if it opens up, if you open up, the pawn chain moves moves inward and they they have that lane to move in, that's uh, it's dangerous. Yeah, no, one of my best chess coaches says one of the most important things that for him in every chess game is being the first player in the game to get a rook on an open file. So it, it's very important. You can even predict that open file. So like you can look at your pawn chain and anticipate based off your opponent's pawn chain on which file will open up in the future. And then position your rook behind that op- that potential opening. So get ahead of it. Tips. This is a two for one chat here. This is tips on on building a brand and tips on your your chess game. If any of our listeners are, are looking for that, all right. There we last, go. last one. We'll jump right to the middle. We'll ju- we'll jump to the to the king because I, I was debating whether I go queen or king, but I'm curious to see where you think the king fits on on the pitch. Yeah, I think the king is is the overall. Uh, community engagement. I really believe that the, the the most important thing is that your players feel like they're playing for something important, that they're part of a family, um, and that no one player is more important than than the rest. No, no the GM isn't more important. The, the coach isn't more important. The king is the people. Uh, so I would not say that any player on our team or any staff member or myself are the king. Good answer. 
Very, very, very smart answer there. And it does sound like there's so many people involved at Bridgeport United making it what it is and helping with the growth and the growth of the league. So we're definitely going to keep watching, keep tuning in and appreciate you chatting with us, Dan. Thanks, man. You guys are a professional. Um, you run a good, run a good operation. I hope you guys have a ton of success in the future, which I, I believe you will. And uh, anytime you want to get me back on in the future, if Bridgeport United keeps trending in the right direction, we can update you. Big thanks to Dan for chatting with us. We got a lot of other exciting convos between us and others in the future to look forward to. Appreciate all the FOFs, all of you for listening, following on social media. We're going to get the YouTube up and going. We got a lot of projects we're working on. So stick with us and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. See you next week. Terrible decision. I woke up at six for this Leeds what? game because I was excited wow. for it, and uh, I was so tired. I, I actually watched the first half, eyes open, full time. Second half was a disaster, and I slept for most of it. And of course, I missed the goal. <laughs>